Welcome, everyone, to the Preacher's Podcast. We're at the fifth Sunday after Epiphany. Our serious theme is still uncovered, in which we're looking at the fact that God's ways are beyond understanding. So truths about God can't be discovered by us. They have to be revealed. They have to be uncovered for us. On this fifth Sunday after Epiphany, our theme for the day is uncovered messengers. The least qualified are the first sent. And you'll see those components of that theme running through all three readings, Isaiah 6, which is Isaiah's calling to the prophetic ministry, Romans 10, which is the need for people to go and proclaim the good news, and then Luke 5, the miraculous catch of fish, and Jesus calling his first disciples. Our participants today are Pastor John Borman of Peace in Aiken, South Carolina, Pastor Tim Boardman of Sure Foundation in New York, Professor Bill Tackmeyer from Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary. I'm John Hine, coordinator of Wells Congregational Services. John, let me start with you. Um, I mentioned last week at the season of Epiphany with all those readings about gospel ministry and public ministry, it, it's really easy for the preacher to focus on what these texts mean for, for called workers like pastors. Uh, and those are fine applications to make, but, but is that the only take home or is this theme of the least qualified being the first sent something that we can also apply to our listeners in their personal lives. So in other words, I guess, as people walk out of your church on this fifth Sunday after Epiphany, what do you hope is the main point that they take home with them? You know, I, I always love this, this time of Epiphany. Every season of church year has its own flavor and emphasis. And we always turn the corner in the church this time of year as we're thinking about how Christ is revealed in Epiphany, uncovered in Epiphany of this connection of um, the ministry that God entrusts to us to, to reconcile the world to himself in Christ, that we're his ambassadors. You know, I think of that word apostle, you know, sent out. And it's not just public ministers who are sent out. We are all sent out into this work together. And so when we think about this, this Luke 5 text together, we're thinking about not just um, Peter's call, but, but our call too. And, um, we're not, you know, we're not qualified for it, but in some, but the spirit qualifies us for it. Christ qualifies us for, it. and that's what we get to talk about today, which is really exciting. Yeah. Thanks, Tim. Let me go to you, but of all these texts, they, they could have really served this theme about the least qualified of the first cent. I, Isaiah laments his unclean lips, Romans 10, drives home the need for the people to be sent to proclaim the gospel. You and John decided to stay in the gospel and focus on Luke 5. Can you share why you thought that would be the reading to use to drive home this theme of the least qualified being the first sent? Yeah, I mean, this is, this is just such a precious, a precious gospel reading here. You know, you look at the other times where the other apostle um, calling scenes that we have in the Synoptic Gospels, like uh, Matthew and Mark, um, Luke, and, and it depends how you stitch these call scenes together. But Luke's, I think, and maybe Professor Tackmar will talk more about this, is really a precious one because um, we get this additional scene where Peter expresses, we, it, it's uncovered how unworthy he is. He, he comes into the presence of God he doesn't realize it before it, but then he does. And, and he expresses his unworthiness. He even tells Jesus to go away. What a bad idea. And, um, and then Jesus uh, gives him the absolution. 
and and says from now on and i love that i love that phrase from now on like it's this total change um so yeah we're uncovering messengers today bill it's great to have you join us today um guys have done their tech study before listening to the podcast therefore do you have any initial thoughts uh points of emphasis either in the greek or what you see as the main point a preacher might want to drive home a thing I always love about the gospel texts is that they'll feature Jesus and then one or more characters uh, in his life. And of course, during the epiphany season, we always want to focus on Christ. We're in the festival half of the church year. But what's really interesting about the gospel lessons is that you'll often see some change taking place in the life of the other person because they've come into contact with Jesus. Uh, Jesus reveals something about himself, and often at the end of the gospel lesson, you can tell that the person has a deeper understanding of who Jesus is. And we certainly see that uh, in this week's gospel, uh, in what happens to Peter. Uh, one touch I want to highlight from the Greek is that before uh, the catch of fish, he addresses Jesus with the Greek word epistata, master. Uh, it's often didaskalet or rabbi in the other gospels. But, uh, I, but Luke likes to use uh, the, the Greek term epistata, master. But notice what happens after Peter has the revelation. In verse, at the end of verse 8, when he admits that he's a sinner, he calls Jesus Kyrie, Lord. Uh, we don't know fully if he understands completely that Jesus is God, but there's a deeper understanding of who Jesus is that happens in this incident. That's fantastic. So I'm going to go back to you because guys are eager to start writing. So do you have any initial thoughts on how you might handle this text? So, yeah, I got a lot. <laughs> I won't say them all right now, but so let me, let me make some introductory comments and then, um, and I, I'm going to suggest one malady, and then I'm going to let other people chime in. There's tantalizing possibilities in this text. And one of the reasons why is because this text works on more than one level. And Jesus, this isn't just a fishing trip. You know, this is a fishing trip. <laughs> Jesus transforms it into fishing for men, which means we're working with phys very real physical realities. Like they have this overwhelming catch of fish, overwhelming catch of fish. Um, but also, um, you, you know, you start thinking about what this means for the mission of the church and so it in the spiritual realities behind it. And you also and, and, you know, think about this preachers. You also have John's epilogue where Jesus is going to help Peter relive this experience with some twists to it. And, you know, we won't be able to ex explore that in this podcast, but. There's just a lot of possibilities with this text as you explore both the physical realities of this miracle, but then um, also what this is supposed to mean as for Peter um, in, his, in his ministry. So um, th there's a dizzying array of things to talk about. So let me just, let me just go right into the maladies. One, um, one way to do this, and I'm, I'm going to unashamedly... Um, use Luther. Um, Luther writes a beautiful sermon. Um, you, you, you just, if you haven't read, it's called, 
Luther has a trilogy of sermons um, that are called Three Beautiful Sermons from Wittenberg. And, he, and if you need them, email me at pastor at peaceandnaked.com. I'll drop you the, the sermon. It's beautiful. It's one of his best sermons, beautiful sermon. And what, the way that he goes at this text is he, is he the, on the front end of it, he, um, his malady is um, we don't trust Jesus to provide for us physically. So physical provision, like Peter, Jesus gives the fish. And then on the back end of the text, you have the malady of the spiritual um, dimension where Peter is not trusting the grace of Jesus. And he, and you know, it's like the country song, thank God for unanswered prayers, you know? Um, so on the, on the front of that, on this text, there's, um, there's some amazing opportunities to preach about. Um, when we think about our mission in the world, Jesus qualifies us. See, you know, he, we're unqualified. We don't have the provisions. We don't have the resources we need, but Jesus gives them to us. Jesus gives them to us. So that's, that's one possible malady. Excellent. Tim, what, what about you got any initial thoughts on? So many, so many. It, I'm going to try to stay kind of close to, to the malady here and, and we'll be able to, to move to the gospel here in a bit, I'm sure. But I'm, I'm really drawn to this moment um, where it dawns on, on this man who's now called Simon Peter um, that he's in the presence of God. And I'm, I'm going to get a little bit liturgical, but the same thing happened to, to Isaiah. The, and, and I think there's, we have to think about that, that malady, just our total unworthiness. There, there was a Lutheran theologian um, who, who actually coined the term mysterium tremendum. I don't know if you heard this before, but it's just this, it's this idea that we're drawn to the holy but we're, we're actually also repelled by it because of our sinfulness. Like, we're, we're like, oh, like, but then we get closer and like, I, it's too much for me. It's too much for me. And if we could put it into the, into the physical realm, um, you know, there's this building here in NYC where uh, you're on top of it and you can walk out on glass and literally look down like 50 stories. And, and when you do that, you're just like you're drawn to the edge and then you look over and you're like, uh-uh, no way. I, I don't know how to explain it. Like this, this experience of the holy. And this is what Peter needed in order to, to be sent. Jesus knew it. Um, and just to explore that, you know, do we, I remember as a kid in my, in my church growing up, I had this in my head that if I walked behind the guard, you know, the, the, the rail of the church where the pastor would stand and give communion and that God would strike me down. Like there's a real awe of holiness in me. And I wonder if we've lost that a little bit, the transcendence no. of God. Yeah. So that would Cynthia, be a reality. You, you got to preach. You got to preach on both sides of that. You know, go away from me. I'm a sinful man. You got to preach on both sides of it because there's two kinds of people sitting in the pews there or, or your chairs or whatever. On the one side, you're right. Like you do the whole Charles Taylor secular age. Nobody cares about God anymore. It's all anthropocentric. Everybody's asking different questions. You know, 
they're not asking who is God, they're asking who am I, you know, all that. And you help people like see you you're just turned in on yourself. You're not you're not you're not even in Peter's ballpark right now. Like Peter's on his knees before Jesus. He is scared. He wants Jesus out of there. Um, and, and so you, you preach on the one side, like the domestication of transcendence, like, like, like you're saying, Timothy. But, uh, but on the other side, the, the, the flip side is there's another group of people who are hiding under the pews. And mm. it, their, their problem is not, it, you know, it's not that you're so flipping about God, but that, that they, they're with, they're like on their knees with Peter and they're like, he, Jesus, he's not going to save me. He can kill me. You know, he's, he's too much. He's too much. And, and they're not believing his word of grace. So, I, I, I mean, I think you got to preach on, you have at least opportunities as a, as a pastor to preach on both sides of that malady. I was wondering as I was studying the text, what exactly Jesus preached on that day, just before the catch of fish, because he asks Peter to put out and I can imagine Peter still cleaning his nets or whatever, sitting in the boat there and listening to what Jesus is saying to the people. And did Jesus preach that day something similar to the Sermon on the Mount, where, uh, you know, they, you, it was said that you should not murder, but I say, don't be angry with your brother, you know, and a same deeper insight into the sin of adultery. And then that chapter of Matthew ends with be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And is this all, if Jesus is preaching this way, is this how Peter's taking in the law? And then once the miracle, the catch of fish comes, he realizes, oh, here's, here is a person who, is, who can control my uh, source of income that I have no control over. You know, I fished all night. And here's the guy who can just fill my, my nets with fish, uh, you know, uh, if, if this is God, who am I to stand in his presence? I, I love that. I love it. Like bringing in like, that's a huge thing for Luke, the, the teaching. So uh, can I add in one other malady before we go to gospel? It, I, I think this is worth, worth exploring just for a second. I think on the back half of the text, you have Peter the counterexample. So Peter the counter, don't be like this. Don't tell Jesus to leave you. You don't want, you don't want to do that. But on the front end of the, of the text, you have Peter the example. I love, I love Peter on the front end of the text. He goes, Lord, be, no, master, because you say so. Oh, my goodness. That is so good. And the, the malady is we don't do that, right? Like Peter... Uh, I, you can do this little thing and I, I'll talk about this a little bit more, but this, this would be so fun homiletically. This would be so fun. Like, uh, uh, like to, to say as a, to say as a pastor, have you ever had somebody tell you how to do your job? Like how annoying is that? Like, um, and let me add there. And here's this carpenter telling me fisherman how to do my yeah. job. So you, you can totally have some fun, like with them internal dialogue with Peter, like, Jesus, are you, come on, professional carpenter, are you serious? You know, and, but Peter, Peter goes, because you say so. And he goes out, you know, the, fir the first, I, I'd argue, and I don't have any proof for this, <laughs> but I'd argue the first miracle was, was no fish all night with his, 
wonderful commercial enterprise that they had going on. No fish all night. So Jesus engineers this whole thing. Um, and then they have this overwhelming catch of fish. And Peter, because you say so, Lord. And by the way, there's awesome rhetorical rope there. Like, because you say so, because you say so. And you just help people see that when we follow the powerful word of Jesus, even if it looks absolutely nuts, he is going to come through because he is the Lord of creation. Um, oh, man, come on. Just to pull on what you said there, John, because I'm just going from, I haven't done the text study like you guys have, I'm going from memory, but when Jesus says put out in deep water, that's the wrong place to go net fishing, correct? So it's not, it's not just, I read, yep. Is that just that they haven't caught anything all night? Long time of day, wrong place. Yeah, 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 okay. Yeah, and another thing with the, you got to remember the Sea of Galilee is an extremely deep, deep lake. It's 160, 165 feet deep. So a little net that Galilean fishermen would have, you know, does not reach down very far into a, a sea like that. And so is even the advice that's being given does that sound foolishness, like foolishness to a fisherman? I, just, just push on that melody for a second. I think this will help, guys. Imagine, imagine this, this church somewhere that's like, no, we can't do that. That costs too much money. Because you say so, Lord. Oh, they'll never believe in Jesus. They, they live this lifestyle. Because you say so, Lord. I mean, come on. The possibilities there. You know, we all think it can't be done because you say so, Lord. You know, um, ooh, let me in. There, there's, there's one more. I don't want to stay in the law too long, but I, I'd be remiss if we passed on this one too. There's, there's one more where Peter's an example. It's at the very end, and it's really a striking example that he gives us. Like they, they remember these boats are full of fish, and I, I, if you put an economic value on that. Um, it must have been a tremendous amount of money. But Luke tells us they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything and followed. Like, so they just didn't care all of a sudden about this economics massive score. And I, I think you have to think about that. Like, how is it? And we have to, I have to think about this, but we're called to preach about this stuff too. Like, have we come to that moment in our life yet where we meet God, you know, and um, like Peter did. And, and Jesus says, don't be afraid. I'm not going to, I'm not here to destroy you. Um, I'm, I'm going to give you a new life. And, and, and Peter's like, I'm in. And he leaves everything. Have we left everything? Have we left it all behind? And, and not in the same sense as Peter, but um, we have to make choices about the way that we use our time and our money and our talents. It is something that we need to think about in, with this text. Excellent. Other thoughts? Well, I want to get into the gospel. Please do. <laughs> I want to do some gospel. So the first, I think this text breaks down kind of neatly in, in, in first, second, and third article um, gospel, but uh, let, let's just start with the first article, Gospel. Man, that was a lot of fish. <laughs> Whoa, does Jesus come through, you know, for some frustrated um, fishermen. And you have to believe that this, um, 
this story um, would have lived in Peter's heart as he's thinking, like, you know what I think about, I, I, this is what I think about, is what did Peter go home and tell his wife? <laughs> like, um, honey, we had a good thing going, you know, above average fishing gig. Um, I'm, we're going to follow him now. <laughs> like what, what did he tell her? And here's the point, man, Peter knew he was going to be cared for. He knew that he was going to be cared for, that his wife was going to be cared for. He knew they were going to be okay because he had lived this. Jesus was going to come through. So there's some just massive, uh, we, I mean, we got to get to the cross too, but don't, don't drop that gospel right there. Well, I think too, going back to the Greek, the very last word of verse 10, that it's so grown, um, rather than the regular word for fisher of men, both Matthew and Mark use the regular Greek word for fisher or fisherman, whereas this is to catch alive. Uh, it comes from soe and agrepo, to catch alive, that that this is really what life is about. It's not just sustaining my daily uh, ability to, to live for the next 24 hours, uh, but um, what I'm offering you here, Peter, is, is life uh, to the full. And now you're going to get to catch other people so that they can have this life that is that full and that eternal. Man, I... We, I we got to do second article gospel too. Come on. I mean, I'm ready. I'm, I'm so captured. I'm so captured with this moment where Peter and Isaiah are just astounded by the presence of God. And, and, but it's not a destroying presence here. It, it just isn't. And Jesus knew that Peter was terrified, but he does give him a word of absolution. And, and he says to Peter, the first thing that he says is don't be afraid. Like, here's a fearful, sinful, um, he's feeling, knowing the presence of God, and Jesus simply says, don't be afraid. He's forgiven. But nobody gets commissioned in a ministry. This is true for pastors and, and all of our people that we're going to be preaching to. Um, <laughs> I mean, think about it this way. If Jesus was still angry with us from, for our sins, would he, would he want to call us into his service? You know? What do, you, what do you say? Now I'm going to give you a new life. Uh, now I want you to represent me. Like, no, the, the slate has been wiped clean. And so living, living in the middle, like where it says, don't be afraid, there's a little semicolon in my NIV. But, I, I, you know, I think you have to draw a little picture of the cross in there. Where does, where does this forgiveness come from? How can a holy God be with a sinful man? Because Peter was telling the truth. I am a sinful man. He wasn't lying. He had it dead on. It's because the sins have been removed. They have been, they have been removed as far as the, the, the east is from the west. And God is pleased with us now. You know that? It's right there. Second article gospel. So I want to I build on what you said. And I think one, this is a critical strategy in preaching the sermon. Don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. The critical strategy attached to that line, this, this sermon absolutely demands what we call rhetorical amplification. You have to take that line and you have to blow it up. 
you have to plant it like a seed in people's hearts. I'm mixing metaphors now. You plant it like a seed in people's hearts and you bloom it like a flower. You have to help them understand that implicit in the commissioning is also the absolution. And you have to, um, you almost like one of the strategies you could do is you could, you could interpret Christ's words. Like you, you, come, you come at people and you say, do you understand what Christ is saying? And you start preaching for Christ. I love you. I forgive you. I'm not going to leave you. Um, I'm not going to forsake you. I am staying in the boat with you. And you just start piling on um, these gospel um, kerygmas on, on, onto people. Um, and so you, it's, it's um, I think there's a great, you, uh, I think of, I preached on the epilogue of John, um, John's gospel. So, you know, you have sort of, some, sort of the same things going on. And there's a story um, that Louis Zamperini um, lived where he was in concentration camps. Um, and then, you know, he um, went back, you know, he got out of it and, and as, a, as a U.S. Uh, service person. Then he went back and, and, he, and he preaches the gospel. Um, but, you know, what, what Jesus does here is, um, in a sense, like he takes um, Peter uh, and, and he's, he's Louis Zamperini and, 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 he, and he hands to this sinner uh, these, these in, in, incredible feed my lambs you know, like the people that Jesus loves, that's what he's doing um, in, in the commissioning. Like there's, there's not just, I love you and I forgive you, but I'm entrusting this to you. Like there's, it's, it's not, it's, it's, maybe we could do it like this. Like it's, it's not just justification, it's reconciliation. Like we're, we're now on the same team, you know? Um, wow. How do you how do you think about that like rhetorical amplification? How can you blow that up for people? That's fantastic, Jonathan. Just the whole uh, the phrase I think you used of where the the commissioning is the absolution. It, it's a way of saying your sins are forgiven without using those exact words. You don't have to be afraid. I want to be your partner. It's the same thing as saying I've I've taken care of your sins. So don't let this be an obstacle to you and I. Um, doing this together. Yeah, and that, know, God, and that God would say to a Peter, you know, I trust you. I, I'm, I'm entrusting you with my mission. You know, that's huge. The other, the other gospel motif, I just have one more for you here. The other gospel motif, if you, if you, if you as preachers didn't like that one, here, here's another way you could get to the cross is you could do the whole Christ in your boat motif. You know, Jesus is in the boat with you and you're afraid, you know, your boat's going to sink and you're, you're done, you know, but Jesus, you, you, you can develop that, right? Like you could develop it through Luke. You could do it through the gospels. Jesus never gets out of the boat. And every time you think you're going to sink with him, you, you don't. And um, you could, and then you can develop that, you know, Jesus sunk, under the weight of our sins, like a sea of our sins, you know, you can, you can do that kind of thing um, with the cross and, and um, you can, you could even take it all the way to John, you know, where Christ is in your boat in the resurrection, 
you know, and he's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. He's never going to let you go hungry. Um, all those kinds of things. The same idea. This is the same kind of idea. It just doesn't evoke the boat metaphor. But Jesus doesn't go away either. <laughs> Even when you want him to. Like, Peter's like, go away. No, I'm staying here. And he's, that mean, he stays with sinners, even if it means that he has to die for, for them and rise for them. There's, there's a lot in that, too. I, I, I have some ideas on some potential outlines. I don't know if we want to go there yet. Yeah, oh, go right ahead, Tim. I'm ready. I, I'm just, this is, this is a sermon, like, I, I know there's different ways of doing things. And I think... I love theme and part sermons. Um, I think TED Talks are basically theme and part sermons. So if anyone's against theme and parts, you know, say the most popular monologues today aren't sermons, they're TED Talks. So, and they're theme and parts. But for this one in particular, like this story is just crying out to me that you just, you would front load it pretty hard um, by just telling it in an interesting way. Because this is such an incredible story and you can have such fun um, by, you know, diving into these different things and having kind of this interesting dialogue between Peter and Jesus um, and maybe Peter mumbling to himself, what is he thinking doing these things? And then, but spending really a lot of time in, in this encounter that Peter has with Jesus then where um, he, he finally senses and understands that he's in the presence of God. Um, and really just kind of staying there for a while and then finally coming out of it. And I, I just love that line. I mentioned it before from now on, that's where I would want to spend a lot of time at the, at the end of the sermon is like, I, I want this to be a, kind of a charismatic sermon where people would come to church and be like, that was before, you know, all of this was before, but now we've had this encounter with Jesus and you can bring in the sacraments, you know, now we've taken um, and eaten the body and blood of the Lord. Now we, we've been baptized into this. And so now from now on, from this moment on, um, this is different now. This is different. And to kind of live in that um, new identity, um, we've been uncovered now as unqualified but called uh, messengers. I, I think that would be... Um, an amazing uh, opportunity to to treat this text. When you when right. you tell the story, and you, I mean, one parallel that you draw, you can draw it, and this is where it's great that you guys have spent the last couple of weeks in Luke four. Well, you guys are in mission settings, so you know people don't often know like the the history of the narrative. But I even think longtime church going people they'll hear this, and a lot of them are going to think, "Oh, this is the first time Peter runs across Jesus." And but in Luke chapter four, we just realized. They've, they've had a relationship for a while, but that Jesus always wants to take the relationship he has with you and develop it into something deeper, something more. And that's what he does for Peter here. I, so Timothy, I agree with you. I, I think like doing a story applied kind of model could work. I also think doing a story interrupted model could work. Um, and you, you, could, you could set up your sermon around Peter's two statements. You could do Peter the example and then Peter the counter example. Um, you do the because you say so thing and then you do the Lord um, go away from me. I'm a sinful man thing. And then you come out the other side of it. 
And the reason why I put it like that is I think one of the opportunities you have with this text is, um, well, I'll put it in homiletical terms. Every time you preach on a narrative, you have a couple options. You can do a plot sermon, what I call a plot sermon. And a plot sermon is going to basically plot out the major moves in, in, in the story. Or you can do um, what we call a character sermon. And a character sermon isn't charting necessarily the, the, the plot points. But what you're interested in is the internal transformation of the character. And I, I think um, Professor Tackmeyer already built out the theology for that um, in his comments. Like, this is a very, you have an opportunity to do some petrine stuff. And um, I, like, I like that story interrupted form to, to kind of help people identify with Peter and then come out with Peter changed on the other side, having experience. And I think that goes with what you were saying too, Timothy, like you, I love that from now on thing is, um, it, it is really cool. I got, I got, a, I, I got a couple, um, just some rhetorical hints. And then I think I've got, is that all right? Absolutely. We're good. We're good. So um, here's some things to think about as you preach the sermon. I'll just I'll try to bullet point them and then and then I'll, and then I'll let somebody else talk. One, think about doing temporal incursions. Temporal incursions are a way to um, update the story so that modern people identify with it. So, for example, um, you what you can do is when you're telling the story about the fishing trip, drop on a trolling uh, motor or something like that. And people go, well, that's not what happened. But all of a sudden, they're living the story in their contemporary experience or put a fish finder in there, you know, and it, that like it's just a black mass of I, I don't know how fish finders work, but it's a way to, to bring the modern listener into the context of that ancient story. So temporal incursions, I think, can really be helpful. Um, the other thing is use a lot of dialogue. There's some really powerful dialogue in this text. And if you can have if you can take Peter and let like almost like um, have some internal dialogue with him, like Peter, Peter's debating Jesus in his own head because you say so, Lord, because you say so. We kind of talked about that. Um, or you can imagine the dialogue that Peter's having in his head when he's on his knees before Jesus. Like, oh, no, you know, you can imagine that how people experience that a little bit. Um, and then the, the last um the last thing that I'll say about it is don't forget about rhetorical amplifications. I, I do think that that's so important is take these statements from Jesus and let them unfurl like a flower, like help people see the absolution that's in the commission here. I like your idea about the dialogue. There's, there's one that I just, I think I really want to do where, um, there's this potential for Peter to have the wrong response to catch a fish. And I keep thinking about it. It's so funny to me that Peter would actually ask Jesus to be a fish, become a fisherman. Like that, that there is that potential, <laughs> like where you'd say, Hey, you know, you invite Jesus out for coffee. You're, you're like, pretty Jesus, good at this. I got, I got a, let's, let's, I, I want to invite you to be um, the head chief fisherman of Zebedee and company. And uh, we're gonna we're gonna do good. 
we're going to do good together. <laughs> and then, and then just, it, but that doesn't happen, right? Instead, Jesus invites Peter to become a different kind of fisherman. There's so much fun in that you get up with the story, but it's so powerful at the same time. Like this is a life-changing kind of moment for Peter. And I hope it can be life-changing for, for us and for our people as well. Um, I agree with what both of you are saying about the lines that Peter speaks and trying to get them into the heads and into the mouths of your hearers. Uh, it seems to me that so often in the Gospels, um, you, uh, the Gospel writer is trying to get the hearer of the story to identify with the sinful character that is, is, that is facing Jesus in the scene. Um, the one that always strikes me the most is uh, when Jesus calms the storm and all the disciples are asking, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. And what a good preacher uh, attempts to do is to get that, that question to really sink into the hearers. Who is this Jesus? Do I realize fully who he is? You know, and if you can get your hearers to uh, think what Peter's thinking, that in early in the sermon, uh, they identify with him in the sense of, I've got enough trust in your word, Jesus, that I'll do what you say, but I don't know if this is going to work or not. And then the, the second quote, you know, go away from me, Lord, because I am a sinful man. Um, if you can get your hearers to be saying that at a certain point in the sermon, boy, I don't want to stand in the presence of holiness. But then to hear Jesus uh, reassuring, don't be afraid, you know, that, that Jesus gets the final word that echoes in the minds of your hearers. Well, then, you know, they're, they're comforted and they know that they've been reconciled to God and he, he trusts them enough to, to give them his mission, to be partners in his mission. That's, that's it. I think what you just said, but John mentioned the transformation that takes place. And it's just interesting. I think a lot of people think like a, a sanctified transformation requires all, you know, a specific list, do A, do B, do C. And, and, and you, uh, you know, both in like Isaiah's, um, the, the, the first lesson, it's always shocked me that when God says, you know, who shall I send and who will go on my mind would be, okay, go where to do what, to say what, how, for how long, nothing. It just uh, here I am, send me because he has this, this understanding of where he stands with his good and gracious God. Uh, um, same thing with Peter. I mean, P Peter is all of a sudden he realizes, okay, here's where I stand with this incredible almighty God. And um, he says, you'll be fishers of men. So it's a little more than who will I send? You're going to fish for men. But beyond that, like where, what does this all entail for how long? What? And yet he says, I'm just going to give up everything. And that this transformation, it doesn't require a big to-do list. It requires us just coming face to face with our sinfulness, but yet how God views our sinfulness, which is something for him to take care of so that we look perfect to him. Um, yeah, it's a great thought. You guys got any, any final thoughts? Uh, once again, it's been uh, delightful, guys. We pray it's helpful to you, our listeners. Uh, look forward to seeing you next week. Have a great week.